Right, good to have you here this morning, and uh, let's go ahead and take our Bibles, and we're going to turn to Psalm 36 here this morning, and I want to consider here this morning and this evening some thoughts on love, and so again, hopefully there'll be a help and a blessing to you. Um, we're going to start here tonight, I'm sorry, this morning, uh, considering the amazing love of God, the amazing love of God. And I'll begin with a text here in Psalm 36. And we're going to start in verse number 5. The Bible says, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of man put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink the river of thy pleasure. For with thee is the fountain of life, and in light, sorry, in thy light shall be, uh, shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness. To the upright in heart. I want to consider things about the love of God or the loving kindness of God, but I want to consider it in this way as we consider what does the amazing love of God look like? What does the amazing love of God look like? Let's go ahead and pray as we consider this thought here today. Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for today. Thank you again for this time we can meet. I, I do ask that you'd help us again to understand a bit about the love of God uh, so hard uh, to, and difficult really to fully seek to express this love even from the scriptures, but help us by grace to again take in uh, some thoughts on it here this morning. Again, bless the time as we meet and help it to be a, a blessing to the hearer as we preach your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we use the word amazing a lot of times, and I, I looked at that word amazing and I was... Again, a bit shocked at what it meant. It means to cause alarm. It means to surprise someone. It's synonymous with the words fabulous or terrific. And so it is one, it, it causes astonishment. It, it went on there and talked about, again, how it causes great, great awe. Amazing. Amazing. You know, it's actually amazing that anyone would love any of us. And especially God. God is holy. God is just. God is supreme. God is powerful. God is creator. We could go all into a lot of attributes of God, but we find in the Bible that God loves us. And it really is amazing. It may not shock you. It may not shock anybody. People talk, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And they'll think, ho-hum, God loves me. God loves you? Do you really understand what that means? The Bible says here in verse number five, thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. One of the songs we sang today talked about his mercy reaching to the heavens. What did the Bible say? It says, thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens and the 
and thy faithfulness reaches to the cloud. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Why do people trust God? The Bible says right here why people trust God. It's a loving kindness that leads people to trust in God. We think about the subject of love, and there's a lot of talk about love in the month of February. And, and uh, we think about, again, Valentine's Day, and again, people try to express their love through chocolate and, and flowers and all kinds of different things and cards and things like that. And I'm not against that at all. I think it's a good thing to think about the subject of love. What is, what is love actually about? What makes God's love amazing? What, God's, what makes God's love maybe different than yours or my love? As we think about this subject of love, I want to consider, first of all, just a series of adjectives or words from the alphabet that maybe could uh, give you an idea of what God's love is like. I'll go through the alphabet. We'll start with A. We'll go to W. I don't have anything under the letters X, Y, or Z. But I want to start with the letter A. What makes God's love amazing? God's love is abounding. God's love is authentic. God's love is absolute. It's admirable. It's authentic. It's amazing. It's approachable. On and on one could go with the letter A, but let's just stop there. God's love is bountiful. It's beautiful. It's benevolent. It's blood-bought. It's blessed. That's just under B. C, his love is compassionate and charitable. It's controlled. It's comforting. It's constant. It's considerate. It's caring. Under the letter D, I have the words durable, devoted, daring, divine. These words describe the love of God. The love of God under E is everlasting, excellent, enduring, eternal. And we could go on from there. His love is under F. It is fierce. It is friendly. It is fervent. It is faithful. It is forbearing. It's forgiving. It's full. Under the letter G, God's love is good. It's great. It's, again, generous. It's giving, it's gracious. And we could go on from there. His love is high, it's hopeful, it's heroic, it's holy, it's heavenly, it's hopeful. God's love is infinite, it's immutable, it's intense, it's ongoing, it's immense, it's immovable. Under J, it's justifying, it is joy giving, it is kind. It is long-suffering, it is lasting, it is life-giving, it is liberating, and it's liberal. Under the letter N, God's love is merciful and marvelous and miraculous and much and most. His love is notable and noble and needful. Under the letter O, his love is orderly, overflowing, it's optimistic. Under P, his love is precious and personal, and powerful, and pure, and pitiful, 
and passionate and patient and perfect. His love is quickening. It's life-giving. It's redeeming. It's radiant. It's real. It's removable. Remarkable, sorry. It's royal. Under the letter S, it's spontaneous. It's sacrificial. It's saving. It's sweet. It's sure. It's supernatural. It's supreme. It's special. Under T, it's truthful. It's tangible. It's thoughtful. It's tender. Under the letter U, it's unexplainable. It's unbelievable. It's unsurpassable. It's unending. It's unchanging. Under the letter V, it's vast. It's valuable. It's virtuous. It's valiant. Under the letter Y, I don't have anything, but under the letter W, it's wide. It's warm. And John 3.16 says it's worldwide. Isn't that amazing? Those all describe God's love. The Bible says, let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. What makes God's love authentic? What makes it amazing? What makes it maybe different than the love that we see expressed a lot of times in what people call love. As we consider again some thoughts on the love of God, I want us to start here in uh, the New Testament with this verse, 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 8. 1 John 4 verse number 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. If there's someone incapable of loving or not able to show love, the Bible says it's because they don't know God. And it says in verse 8, for God is love. God is love. God not only loves, he's kind and considerate and all those other things we talked about, but he is indeed love. It's amazing that we have a God that loves us. And the Bible says, and again, we all know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so let's consider some thoughts on the love of God here today. The amazing love of God. I want to start out here in the same book, looking at another verse on the love of God. 1 John chapter 4. Again, there's a lot on the love of God in 1 John. And if you want to study and consider the love of God, read the book of John and read the book of 1 John. There's a lot about love and the love of God in those particular books in the Bible. And... Uh, John wrote much about this subject. But let's notice another verse here in uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse number 19. The Bible says, we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. What is amazing about the love of God? 
What's amazing about it? Because he initiated his love. And so I want to say this about his love. He has an amazing love because it was uninitiated by us. In other words, we didn't do anything to get his love. He decided simply to just love us. If you ever met anybody that's, that initiated a friendship with you, and, and you weren't the one who initiated it to begin with, that's kind of like the love of God. God initiates his love. We love him, the Bible says, because he first loved us. It's not that God doesn't love everyone. It's that God loves everybody. He has initiated that love towards everyone. We love him because he first loved us. The Bible says in verse number 16, it says, For we have known and believed that the love that God hath to us God is love, and he that dwelleth in God dwelleth in him, and God in him. Here we see again, though, expression twice in this same chapter. God is love. Verse 8, God is love. If you want to know what love is about, you don't have to go and try to find someone who's written about love. You'll just need to look and see what God is like, or who God is. God loved us when we weren't one that was very unlovable uh, uh, to begin with. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. It's, it's amazing that God would initiate a relationship with man when in reality man has decided in a general sense to despise God, to, to put aside God, to, to not really think much about God, not having time for God and you could, you could talk all about how man ha, has not made himself really that lovable of a person when it comes to their regular relationship with God or really anyone else. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number uh, 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 7. The Bible says, The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because... You were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath that he had sworn unto his father, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now what's this talking about? This isn't talking about God's love for Israel. It's talking about God's love for Israel. It's talking about God taking and, and helping this people, using a mighty hand to deliver them. <clears throat> Didn't have to do that. But he initiated love to them. You know, when we think about love and, and what's special about love and what's amazing about love is when you see love expressed by someone who would not need to love someone else or who would show love to somebody else, and yet maybe even not be loved by that someone else. Let's turn to the New Testament. Maybe I'm not making a whole lot of sense here this morning, but imagine someone loving you that maybe nobody else would be in a position that they really love you, but yet they'd show love to you, and they'd uh, express love to you. They'd, they'd initiate love, or acts of love, or expressions of love or words of love towards you. 
Let's, let's notice here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 15. You know, such is the case with Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth. You know, he went to people to deliver them the gospel message, to see them saved by grace, to get them introduced to the love of God and the mercy and grace of God. And they came to a place of salvation and all those kind of things. But it seems odd here, but yet true here that um, though he loved them to begin with and continued to love them, they don't seem to love him back. In fact, here's how it's expressed in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 15. It says, I will, be, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now, Paul was initiating love toward these people here at Corinth. He showed love to them. And, then, and it says here, the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. The truth is the Corinthians didn't respond to the initiating love of Paul well. Paul continued to love them, and he mentions in verse number 15, I will very godly spend and be spent for you. But the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. You know, there are relationships, and we see this in this particular place in the Bible, that the more abundantly sometimes someone seeks to love someone, they can be less loved. Certainly that is the way it is with the love of God. The more that God loves, sometimes the less he's loved. The more Paul loved, the less he was loved. But that doesn't mean that love is wrong and that love should not be initiated and love should not be benevolent and love shouldn't seek to befriend those who need love. God is love. We love him because he first loved us. Let's turn to the book of Ruth. We love him because he first loved us. Do you, do you love God now because he first loved you? That's, that's how my relationship is with God. He loved me, and I decided to love him back. Not, not, now, that's not everything. That's not, again, the, something that everybody and anyone can say, and I don't say it for, with pride or whatever it might be, but... That's the reality of every relationship with God. We love him because he first loved us. He initiated his love towards us. Such is the case, I believe, with the relationship there with Ruth and Boaz in the Bible. Let's look at that just a little bit here. Ruth chapter 2, verse number 2. The Bible says that Ruth the Moabite said to Noma, let me go now to the field and glean ears of corn after in whom sigh I shall find grace. And he said unto her, Go, my daughter. So where was Ruth seeking to land? To a place where she would find grace or she would find love. That's where she was seeking to land. In verse 7 it says, And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and have continued from morning until now, and she tarried a little in the house, then said, Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but bide here 
by my maidens. And let thy eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art thirst, thirst, go to the vessels and drink of what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said, Why have I found grace in thy eyes? What is that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, has been fully showed to me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of the nativity, and are come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given to thee unto, unto the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Why did Ruth trust God? She somehow saw the love of God. She somehow saw the love of God, and she saw the love of God and placed her faith in God and trusted in God and was going to go to a place where she could find grace and she could find love. And where did she find that grace and love? In Boaz's field. Boaz said, hey, you know, when you're thirsty, there's water for you. There's plenty of food here in the field for you. You see Boaz initiate that love for Ruth, and later Ruth responds to that love. We love him because he first loved us. What's amazing about God's love? Because he initiated love towards us when we didn't initiate love towards him. That's the reality. Boaz loved his servants, and he loved Ruth. He initiated this love for both of them. His love was that of like unto God, where you see him initiating love. Again, we look at verses like John 3, 16, and we say, what's so amazing about God's love? Because secondly, let me say this, what's amazing about God's love, it's not like our love, it's unselfish. It's unselfish love. Amazing love is observed in the unselfishness of God's love. To be absent of selfishness when it comes to love. Really, love really expresses where you see someone truly unselfish in their love. You could see it again maybe in some little child, maybe handing maybe a, a piece of food to maybe a friend. Here, you can have it. You can have this. Or maybe someone giving against something to someone else that maybe needs it. Say someone, again, has gone through some rough times and maybe they've gotten a car crash or they've had a medical accident or whatever might uh, uh, thing. Some might come into their life that re-throws them off track and all of a sudden they're given something by somebody else. An unselfish love. Here, you need this. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. What does this world really need? They need Donald Trump to be the new president of the United States. Someone says, oh, yeah, we really, really, really need that to happen. I mean, this country's in a mess. What does this country really need? They need the unselfish love of God. It's there. It's available. And it's been proven be something that you can stand fast with and stick with. 
Romans chapter 8, verse number 32 talks about the love of God. Here again in the New Testament, it says, He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Unselfish love. What makes God's love amazing? He gave His only Son. His only begotten Son. He spared, him, spared not his son, but delivered us all. He will give us all things. All things that we need. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians. If you haven't read through 1 Corinthians 13, and you want to know what true love is like or what charity is like, that chapter again gives you a good idea that, about that. And again, a lot of times uh, uh, people will go to 1 Corinthians here, chapter 13 and Consider the love of God, and I'm not going to look at this in any kind of detail, but let's just look at verse number four and verse number five that talks about the characteristics of God's love or what charity entails. First Corinthians 13, look at verse number four. It says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity emmeth not, charity bondeth not itself, is not puffed up, it doth not behave itself unseemly, it seeketh not her own. Is not easy provoke, thinketh no evil, seeketh not her own. You know, any self-seeking love is not love. Any self-seeking love is not love. Love seeketh not his own or her own. Where you find love between two people or you see the love of God between God and man, you see God loving us. Freely loving us, as Romans talks about here. And, then, and as, as the Bible says here, seeking not his own. Where you find love, you'll find unselfish love. Giving love, if you would. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Amazing love. What does it look like? It, it looks like what you see in the Bible, in the love of God. You see it also in people. Uh, I say, how can people love? Because they first understand a little bit about the love of God, and then they can take that love and they can show it to somebody else so they can decide to show and to emulate the love of God or to example it or to, to live by the love of God. Romans chapter 8, and verse number 35, the Bible says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of sword as is written for thy sake? We are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Nay, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angel nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor debt, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What makes God's love amazing? It's uninitiated. It's unselfish. Let me say this, it's unchanging. It's steadfast. Never going to change. You know, you talk about people and they'll say, well, I fell out of love. Sorry. I have to tell you something. Maybe it's a shock to you. You didn't fall in love. You never did love. I mean, that's harsh. That might sound mean. That might seem 
rough, that might seem whatever. You know, some people talk about love and they'll say, well, I fell out of love. No, you didn't fall out of love. You just didn't share it. Truth is, God's love doesn't change with behavior. God's love doesn't change with circumstances. Doesn't change in life or death or principality or things present or things to come or any of these kind of things that are mentioned here. It's always constant, steadfast, firm, sure, fixed. Always the same. Always there. Let's turn to Romans 13. You know, man can fluctuate in love. And what I'm saying when I use that term love there, I'm talking about that friendship love, that phileo love, that, again, that's that love that we can express. A lot of times we talk about it being brotherly love. Uh, We can fluctuate in that sort of love, and you can see that in the Bible, and I'm not going to get into that in any kind of detail here today. But again, as you think about love and the love of Jesus, the love of God, understand it's not going to change with principalities, powers, life, death, tribulation, trials, temptations, nothing along those lines. The Bible says in Romans 13, verse number one, now wherefore, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He loved his own that were in the world. He loved them unto the end. What does that tell us about the love of Jesus Christ? When the disciples forsook him, did he forsake them? Nope. He didn't. When uh, the disciples, that group of disciples, left him to walk with him no more, did he somehow not love them? No, that love didn't stop. People are perplexed and surprised by the fact that God's love is fixed. It's sure. It doesn't change. It doesn't fluctuate. It's unchanging. We say that. It's amazing because it's unchanging. And truly it is amazing that God's love is unchanging. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. We could, we could do things wrong. We could do things right. We could do things good. We could do things evil. We could uh, be in a position where who knows what happens in our life. I mean, and someone says, well, what happens is the love of God. Well, it's like the prodigal father where he's always there loving us. He's always there loving us. He's always there to seek to be a blessing to us, always there to show his loving kindness to us. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, the Bible says, The Lord hath appeared of old, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. God draws by his love. It is God's love and God's amazing love that leads someone to love God. That's why Ruth chose to love God. And she put her trust under his wings. And so we see again some thoughts on the love of God. What, what is the love of God like? What makes it amazing? Because fourthly, it's unending. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians. Long-term love. Lasting love. We see less of it in society. You say, why do we see less of it in society? Because people just don't choose to love. you got to choose to love. i got to choose to love. Even if I'm not loved back, God, God chose to love me. Even if I didn't love him back. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 7, it says, It beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, and it endureth all things. A real love endureth all things. The ups and downs may be of a marriage relationship. The fluctuations may be in a child and, and parent relationship. The falling out of love or falling into love is, again, not really something that the Bible talks about. It does talk about long love, lasting love, enduring love. The Bible says there in verse number of charity, it beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Difficulties, distress, even desertion doesn't keep God from loving us or not continue to love us. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. You want to see the love of God expressed? We can see it expressed in God. We can see it expressed in the scriptures. We can see it expressed in these different passages we can look at in the Bible. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. Romans chapter 5. What, what makes God's love amazing? Let me say this. Fifthly, it's an unmerited and undeserved love. It's a grace love. Can I just say that? It's a grace love. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, it says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for who? Sinners. He died for sinners that they may become saints. He died to show us grace. He demonstrated his love for us by dying for his enemies. There's a lot of people that die for their friends. But would you die for an enemy? People say, you're crazy, I'd never die for an enemy. Verse 7 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended this love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for good people. He died for ungodly people. None of us deserve the love of God. Love is shown in a good man dying for a, maybe a good person. It says that even there. For scarcely a righteous man would die. Peradventure, a good man would, you know, even some would dare die for you know, American might go to war right now and go over to Israel and, and die for Israel. Why? Because they think Israel maybe is on the right side. Maybe someone from America will go over to Palestine or to, to, and join the Palestinian forces over there and try to die for them. You say, why would they do that? Maybe because they think they're good and they're on the right side. But who would die for their enemies? God did. And God would. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. What makes God's love special? What makes God's love amazing? Because his love is one of grace. It's one of giving what we need. It's one of getting what we don't deserve. I deserve the judgment of God. Every person deserves the judgment of God, but God offers grace. And God offers forgiveness. Ephesians Two talks about this, and let's just read there just a little bit. Ephesians chapter two, verse number one, as it says, "You hath he quickened." I said, I said that God's love is life giving. 
You have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom all we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And this is what's amazing. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love worth and he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved. What's amazing about God's love? It's of grace. It's all of grace. If you or any one of us is to enter in heaven, it's going to be by God's grace. It's because of his forgiveness, because of his love, because of his mercy extended to us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's turn back to that Romans verse there, Romans chapter 5, and let's read through that text a little a little more here, Romans chapter 5. What is it that makes God's love amazing? I said it's because it's unmerited and it's undeserved. Let me say this also. It's unmatched. It's unsurpassed. Romans chapter 5, verse number 6. It says, For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended this love toward us, and that while, Christ, while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the atonement. What is amazing about God's love? He loved, for, he loved and died for the ungodly. He died for sinful men. He died for every man. And he's decided to love us. He has chosen to love us. Let's turn to 1 John. I said 1 John talks a lot about the love of God. And let me encourage you to read through the book of 1 John. Maybe this week, make it, maybe make it something that you could do as an assignment of sorts. I'm not here in general to assign you anything in general. But read through 1 John and consider God's relationship and your relationship with him. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love... The Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world know, knew, uh, knoweth us not because it knew him not. What manner of love that we should be called the sons of God. Not only the sons of God, look at verse 2. It said, beloved. What does beloved mean? It means to be much loved. Beloved. Now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we, sh we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself as he is pure. We see the love of God expressed there in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1. It says, 
Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What is amazing about God's love? It's unmatched. Nobody's adopted as many as God has. There's no one. Not even come close to adopting as many as God has. Sons of the world, sons of the devil, now sons of God. That's amazing. Sons of darkness, now sons of light. Sons of the world, now sons of God. It's an unmatched love. And let me say finally as we turn to Ephesians chapter 3, it should shock us. It really should shock us. I'm not saying it shocks you, and I'm saying at times it doesn't shock me like it should shock me. But it is amazing that God loves me. It is amazing that God has shown mercy to me. It's amazing that God loves sinners such as I and such as you. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 17, the Bible says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And that's how, again, you have a relationship with God is through, uh, again, faith. It says there that, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, you read through this text, and again, I'm not trying to confuse anyone. I'm hopefully not confusing myself. But let's read this again, what the Bible says, that Christ will dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. So I just stop there. What does God want you to know? A lot about the love of Christ, right? The depth, the height, the length, the breadth, all those kind of things. And then it says, (laughs) which makes it amazing, It says in verse number 19, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You know, I I can't figure it out and I'm not going to figure it out. And knowledge will not allow me to be even to know fully the love of Christ. And so I say it's unexplainable. It's unsearchable. It's unfathomable. All those kind of terms. Again, the Bible mentions it passes knowledge. You are to try to figure out what the length, the breadth, the height, and all those kind of things of the love of God is, but yet it passes knowledge. John Bryan said this in 1743 about God's love. He said, no tongue can fully express the infinite love of God or any mind comprehend it. The most extensive ideas that finite mind can frame about the divine love are infinitely below its true nature. Now, that's a lot of words, so to speak, but what is he saying? You can't express it, and you can't fully frame it. Exactly what the Bible says there. It passes knowledge. No human words, no adjectives or adverbs or expressions can express fully the love of God. It's beyond the hundred plus adjectives that I used at the beginning of the sermons. Let's turn back to Psalm 36. Why do people turn and trust in God? 
Because they figure out that God truly loved them and that he died for them and he sent his son in their place for them to die a sacrificial death that they might be saved through grace. Psalm 36, verse number one, the Bible says, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy winds. Look at verse number 10. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright of heart. Amazing love, uninitiated, unselfish, unchanging, unending, undeserved, unsurpassed, and unexplainable. That's the love of God. Let's close as we consider the word of God here this morning.